0: a little bit more time so I can do a little bit more song which will be a little bit more nice wouldn't it? What do you waiting? Okay. Would you like me to do my Maoist pop hit? Yeah. Thank you, there's always one Maoist in the room who responds positively to that Maoist thing. So here we go then. may have been Camelot for Jack and Jacqueline But on the Hugo Chavez highway, filling up with cheap gasoline Fidel Castro's brother spies a rich lady who's crying Over luxury's disappointment, so he walks over And he's trying to sympathise with her thinks that he should warn her that there's no way that Cuba is going back to gangsterism after all these years. Forget it, man, forget it. You can cancel that cruise already, buddy. Let me tell you. In the former Soviet Union, the citizens demand to know why they're still the target of Strategic air command And they shake their fists in anger And respectfully suggest We take the money from our missiles And spend it on the NHS How does that sound, brothers and sisters? Does that make sense? Yeah! I thought so, yeah mate A sage nodded ahead, head, that'll do, yeah The Cold War now is over But the stakes are getting higher I'm frightened of collateral damage and a friendly fire And I don't believe we can defeat no Axis of evil by putting smart bombs In the hands of dumb people yeah. Mixing pop and politics They ask me what the use is I offer them my acupuncturist And my masseuses, while looking down a corridor, you know, out to where my mummy's waiting. I'm looking for the new world order. You know where Great Britain is in the new world order? Right up the arsehole of the United States of America. It's shameful, isn't it? Jumble sales are organised. All my mates got fat. Even after all this time, you know, you can still send me a fax You can be active with the activists or sleeping with the media While you're waiting for the great leap forwards Ah, oh, one leap forwards, two leaps back Will iTunes ultimately give me the sack? No, I'm probably okay, I'm probably okay But I'm glad I'm not Warner Brothers, if you know what I mean well, there comes a the future and you can't run from it If you've got a website, I want to be on it Can I be a Facebook friend, can I? Oh, that's going out of fashion, isn't it? i have to think of another line Well, mighty long way down rock and roll From top of the pops to drawing the doll You have to be over 30 to understand that one In a perfect world, we'd all sing in tune But this is reality, not bloody X Factor Waiting for the great leap forwards so join the struggle while you may. The revolution's just an ethical haircut away when you're waiting for the great leap forward.
1: And that was Billy Bragg with Great Leap Forwards live from the iTunes Live London Sessions EP. And in that, he's saying, uh, the Revol- revolution is just a ethical haircut away. In the original, he sings, the revolution is just a t-shirt away. And he sells those t-shirts, um, the t-shirts that say the revolution is just a t-shirt away. One of... My favorite t shirts in my collections. Greeting and welcome to Polyrical, a podcast of political music, a soundtrack for the resistance, a topical solution for the political revolution. I want to hear from you. So if you like what you hear, or if you hate what you hear, you just give me an email. So you can send me a message at polyrical at gmail.com, or you can go on the website polyrical.com. There's a link to a little handy button there that lets you email me. There's another button there that lets you recommend a song or an artist for a future episode. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Polyrical. Here is Junkyard Empire off the album Oppression, Anger, Awareness, Organize, Mobilize, Reclaim Freedom. This is just is.
2: continues its frantic movement toward eternity, and the planets dance elliptically around the sun, there remains but one constant, truth. The sun sheds tears of light that fall to earth in brilliant displays of energy, as the earth reciprocates this gift from the heavens by renewing and sustaining life, there remains but one constant, truth. Humanity continues its awkward paradox of triumph and tragedy. Some till the land for sustenance, while others rape it for profits. Some uplift their sisters and brothers towards prosperity. Others exploit them for greed. Still, there remains but one constant, truth. Truth has no alpha and no omega. Truth has no ideology, no philosophy, no doctrine or dogma. It just is. Truth cannot be captured, bottled, bought or sold. It is not a commodity. It just is. Truth is neither pretty or ugly. It is not what we always want to hear, yet it liberates us and allows us to see both beauty and horror. Truth has manifested itself in various forms. It has blinded us in volcanic ash while illuminating our minds like northern lights. It has been demonstrated through holocausts and revolutions. It has been spoken in fields, on the streets, in temples, and in tabernacles. It lies in between the lines of books and exists invisible to sight inside of radio waves. Yet when truth exposes itself, it is all-powerful and can transcend any attempt to manipulate it or hide it. Truth will always be here. We pay homage to truth through drums, bass, Guitar, keys sax trombone and spoken word basically alistrue the i and sad.
1: that'll bring us to our topic of the episode, the topic of the episode for this episode is anarchy. And I'm not going to have a lot to say about the topic of this episode. I'm going to let Howard and Emma tell you about anarchy. I'll just say anarchy is not what it's been made out to be. It's not what the common perception of anarchy means. It's not bomb throwing and killing. Anarchy is uh, collectively agreeing. To follow certain rules, not imposing those rules on other people, but uh, collectively living by rules that everyone agrees with. It's a complex and difficult system. It's not, it's not the simplistic um, violent system that it's made out to be. But like I said, Howard and Emma are going are gonna to tell you about anarchism in just a little bit. But here's Ani in Utah from The Past Didn't Go Anywhere. This is Ani DeFranco in Utah Phillips with Anarchy.
3: I learned in Korea that I would never again in my life abdicate to somebody else my right and my ability to decide who the enemy is.
4: Please forgive me.
3: He said, what is it? He said, well, I can't give you a book by Gandhi, you wouldn't understand it. I can't give you a list of rules that if you sign it, you're a pacifist. He said, uh, you look at it like booze. You know, alcoholism will kill somebody until they finally get the courage to sit in a circle of people like that and put their hand up in the air and say, hi, my name's Utah, I'm an alcoholic. And then you can begin to deal with the behavior, see? You can And have the people uh, define it for you, whose lives you've destroyed. Said it's the same with, with violence, you know, an alcoholic, they can be dry for 20 years, they're never going to sit in that circle and put their hand up and say, well, I'm not an alcoholic anymore. No, they're still going to put their hand up and say, hi, my name is Utah, I'm an alcoholic. So it's the same with violence. you got to be able to put your hand in the air and acknowledge your capacity for violence and then deal with the behavior and have the people whose lives you're best with define that behavior for you, you see. And it's not going to go away, you're going to be dealing with it every moment, every situation, for the rest of your life. I said, okay, I'll try that. And Hammond said, it's not enough. I said, oh. I said, said, oh. I said, oh. He said, you were born a white man in mid-20th century industrial America. You came into the world armed to the teeth with an arsenal of weapons the weapons of privilege racial privilege sexual privilege economic privilege you want to be a pacifist not just giving up guns and knives and, and clubs and fists and angry words but giving up the weapons of privilege and going into the world completely disarmed try that that old man has been gone now 20 years and I'm still at it but I figure if there's a worthwhile struggle in my own life that that's probably the one think about it i'd always wanted to write a song for that old man he never wanted one about him that way but something mulched up out of his thought his anarchist thought anarchist in the best sense of the word oh so many times he stood up in front of federal district judge ritter that old fart and he'd be picked up for picketing illegally and he never pled innocent or guilty he pled anarchy and ritter'd say What's an anarchist, Hennessy? And Ammon would say, why an anarchist is anybody who doesn't need a cop to tell him what to do. Kind of a fundamentalist anarchist, huh? And Litter would say, but Ammon, you broke the law. What about that? And Ammon would say, oh, judge, your damn laws, the good people don't need them and the bad people don't obey them, so what use are they? I lived there for eight years, and I watched him, mainly watched him, and I discovered, watching him, that anarchy is not a noun, but an adjective. It describes the tension between moral autonomy and political authority, especially in the area of combinations, whether they're going to be voluntary or coercive. The most destructive coercive combinations are arrived at through force. Like Adam said, force is the weapon of the weak strong enough
1: Inventing Axel Rose, that was against me with Baby, I'm an Anarchist. And here is Howard Zinn off of Heroes and Martyrs, Emma Goldman, Sakwan and Vanzetti, and the Evolutionary Struggle. This is Finding Anarchism.
5: Emma Goldman was not being taught, and so I decided my students had to know something about uh, anarchism and about Emma Goldman uh, and her friends. And when I started to teach at Boston University I attended one of those, They, when you start to teach somewhere they have a reception for new faculty members, uh, which is always very boring. And, uh, the, and at, at this reception for new faculty members I, I, I found myself uh, sipping sherry with um, another new faculty member who was going to in? Well, what questions you ask? What department will you be in? He's going to be in the philosophy department. What department will I be in? Well, I was going to be in the political science department. Oh, ah, and what is your political philosophy, he asked.
6: <laughs>
5: well, you're not supposed to ask that of somebody in the political science department. I never heard of anybody in the political science department <laughs> who had a political philosophy, <laughs> you uh, It's not professional. Uh, but I thought I had to come up with something so I I, I said uh, I guess I'm an anarchist and he looked at me and he said that's impossible. (laughs) Anyway, so um, anarchism is still not taught. It's interesting. It teaches political theory, political philosophy, also long lists of political theorists and phlo- anarchists and anarchism you know, still doesn't have a recognition as a political philosophy. So it's an important thing for people to look at and, and for people to read. From living my life, from Emma, Emma Goldman's autobiography, I went on to, to Alexander Berkman's Prison Memoirs of an Anarchist, uh, which has been out of print for a long time, but there's a new uh, sort of edition which has most of it, and other Berkman's writings, which is published by a little publishing outfit in Manhattan called uh, Four Walls Eight Windows, uh, and uh, and then uh, and then what? Oh, and then I was in Amsterdam. Uh, and 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 because I was in Amsterdam, I decided to look up the International Institute of Social History, which, uh, if you ever go to Amsterdam, and I'm sure all of you will soon go to Amsterdam, uh, you will find in the International Institute of Social History a wonderful collection of documents, materials, letters from and to all sorts of people, and uh, and you know they collected stuff from the from the. Nazi archives. I, that doesn't mean they're Nazi, Th- that is from Germany, which the Nazis had secreted away and didn't want anybody to look at, you know, like Karl Marx's early letters. Uh, There's no point really secreting them away because nobody could ever read Marx's handwriting. <laughs> but they, they have, st- and then they had this collection of Emma Goldman, of letters to and from uh, Emma Goldman, a wonderful collection. So I spent uh, days and days and days sitting there uh, in Amsterdam uh, copying pieces of these letters and then I get home and I find that Richard Drennan has already done that <laughs> and has published a lot of that. He and his wife, Anna Marie Drennan, published that in a book which also you should read. Uh, I'm telling you all of this, I'm giving you this bibliographical information because I can't, there's not much I can tell you in a short time about that fantastically rich and complex Life. And so, you know, you really have to go and, and read stuff for yourself.
1: And we will have a reading from Emma Goldman, uh, not by Emma Goldman, but from uh, Emma Goldman's um, Anarchism and Other Essays shortly. But before that, here is Chumbawamba off the album Show Business. This is Give the Anarchist a Cigarette.
4: Albert! Oh! Bobby! He said, we're gonna catch If Indiana gets a cigarette And Bobby just hasn't learned it yet If Indiana gets a cigarette Pretend to change it, but he just forgets If Indiana gets a cigarette He's gonna choke on his harmonica output And then everyone's down by itself cigarette, will be running up the air in his personal jets Idiotic is the cigarette You know I hate every phone Cigarette
7: we were in a car together. Who was driving? The cop. (laughs) This song song is the closest thing to a hit that I've ever had, but only among Danish anarchists. But it's really quite something. I, I feel like a rock star for several days every year when I'm in Denmark. And then I leave because it's very small. You're, you know, pretty much done. There's three cities, and then you're done, and then back to Earth. I don't drive a car because they run on gas. But if I did it run on biomass i ride a bike or sometimes a skateboard so fuck off all you drivers and your yuppie hordes sitting all day in the traffic queues i'm a better anarchist than you i don't eat meat i just live on moldy chives or the donuts that i found in last week's dumpster dives look at you people in that restaurant i think so sad when you could have been eating bagels like the ones that i just had i think it is a shame all the want things you do i'm a better anarchist than you i don't wear leather and i like my clothes in black And I made a really cool hammock from a moldy coffee sack. I like to hop on freight trains. I think that is so cool. It's so much funner doing this than being stuck in school. I can't believe you're wearing those brand new shiny shoes. I'm a better anarchist than sequel because heterosexual relationships are inherently unequal i'll just keep on moshing to anti-flag and crass until there are no differences in gender race or class all you brainwashed breeders you just haven't got a clue i'm a better anarchist than you I don't believe in leaders, I think consensus is the key. I don't believe in stupid notions like representative democracy. Whether or not it works, I know it is the case that only direct action can save the human race. So when I see you in your voting booth, then I know it's true. I'm a better anarchist than you. I'm not a pacifist, I like throwing bricks And when the cops have caught me and I've taken a few licks I always feel lucky if I get a bloody nose Because I feel so militant and everybody knows By the time the riot is all through I'm a better anarchist than you I'm a better anarchist than you
1: And that was David Rovix from Letter to My Landlord with I'm a Better Anarchist Than You. And as promised, we're going to hear Emma Goldman. Uh, We're not going to actually hear Emma Goldman, but we're going to hear someone reading from Emma Goldman's essay, from Anarchism and Other Essays on Anarchism. Uh, And that's actually LibriVox recording. LibriVox does some great recordings of... um, Uh, Various different texts that are all in the public domain. You should find a source for LibriVox. They have their own app, and you can also find them in other places as well. This one actually was uh, from a uh, recording online that I found from LibriVox. But before we get there, we're going to have one more bonus track. This is called Anarcha. This is from War on Women, the band War on Women, from the album Capture the Flag.
8: What it really stands for, from Anarchism and Other Essays. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Anarchism and Other Essays by Emma Goldman. Anarchism, What It Really Stands For. Anarchy. Ever reviled, accursed ne'er understood thou art the grisly terror of our age wreck of all order cry the multitude art thou and war and murder's endless rage oh let them cry to them that ne'er have striven the truth that lies behind a word defined to them the word's right meaning was not given they shall continue blind among the blind But thou, O word, so clear, so strong, so pure, Thou sayest all which I for goal have taken. I give thee to the future, thine secure, When each at least unto himself shall waken. Comes it in sunshine, in the tempest's thrill? I cannot tell, but it the earth shall see. I am an anarchist. Wherefore I will not rule, and also ruled I will not be. John Henry Mackay. The history of human growth and development is at the same time the history of the terrible struggle of every new idea heralding the approach of a brighter dawn. In its tenacious hold on tradition, the old has never hesitated to make use of the foulest and cruelest means to stay the advent of the new, in whatever form or period the latter may have asserted itself nor need we retrace our steps into the distant past to realize the enormity of opposition, difficulties and hardships placed in the path of every progressive idea. The rack, the thumbscrew and the knout are still with us. So are the convict's garb and the social wrath, all conspiring against the spirit that is serenely marching on. Anarchism could not hope to escape the fate of all other ideas of innovation. Indeed, as the most revolutionary and uncompromising innovator, anarchism must needs meet with the combined ignorance and venom of the world it aims to reconstruct. To deal even remotely with all that is being said and done against anarchism would necessitate the writing of a whole volume. I shall therefore meet only two of the principal objections. In so doing, I shall attempt to elucidate what anarchism really stands for. The strange phenomenon of the opposition to anarchism is that it brings to light the relation between so-called intelligence and ignorance. And yet this is not so very strange when we consider the relativity of all things. The ignorant mass has in its favor that it makes no pretense of knowledge or tolerance. Acting as it always does by mere impulse, its reasons are like those of a child. Why? Because... Yet the opposition of the uneducated to anarchism deserves the same consideration as that of the intelligent man. What then are the objections? First, anarchism is impractical, though a beautiful ideal. Second, anarchism stands for violence and destruction, hence it must be repudiated as vile and dangerous. Both the intelligent man and the ignorant mass judge not from a thorough knowledge of the subject, but either from hearsay or false interpretation. A practical scheme, says Oscar Wilde, is either one already in existence, or a scheme that could be carried out under the existing conditions. But it is exactly the existing conditions that one objects to, and any scheme that could accept these conditions is wrong and foolish." The true criterion of the practical, therefore, is not whether the latter can keep intact the wrong or foolish, rather is it whether the scheme has vitality enough to leave the stagnant waters of the old and build, as well as sustain, new life. In the light of this conception, anarchism is indeed practical. More than any other idea, it is helping to do away with the wrong and foolish. More than any other idea, it is building and sustaining new life. The emotions of the ignorant man are continuously kept at a pitch by the most blood-curdling stories about anarchism, not a thing too outrageous to be employed against this philosophy and its exponents. Therefore, anarchism represents to the unthinking what the proverbial bad man does to the child, a black monster bent on swallowing everything, in short, destruction and violence destruction and violence. How is the ordinary man to know that the most violent element in society is ignorance, that its power of destruction is the very thing anarchism is combating? Nor is he aware that anarchism, whose roots, as it were, are part of nature's forces, destroys not healthful tissue, but parasitic growths that feed on the life's essence of society. It is merely clearing the soil from weeds and sagebrush that it may eventually bear healthy fruit. Someone has said that it requires less mental effort to condemn than to think. The widespread mental indolence so prevalent in society proves this to be only too true. Rather than to go to the bottom of any given idea, to examine into its origin and meaning, most people will either condemn it altogether, or rely on some superficial or prejudicial definition of non-essentials. Anarchism urges man to think, to investigate, to analyze every proposition. But that the brain capacity of the average reader be not taxed too much, I also shall begin with a definition, and then elaborate on the latter. ANARCHISM. THE PHILOSOPHY OF A NEW SOCIAL ORDER BASED ON LIBERTY UNRESTRICTED BY MAN-MADE LAW. THE THEORY THAT ALL FORMS OF GOVERNMENT REST ON VIOLENCE, AND ARE THEREFORE WRONG AND HARMFUL, AS WELL AS UNNECESSARY. THE NEW SOCIAL ORDER rests, OF COURSE, ON THE MATERIALISTIC BASIS OF LIFE. But while all anarchists agree that the main evil today is an economic one, they maintain that the solution of that evil can be brought about only through the consideration of every phase of life, individual as well as the collective, the internal as well as the external phases. A thorough perusal of the history of human development will disclose two elements in bitter conflict with each other elements that are only now beginning to be understood not as foreign to each other, but as closely related and truly harmonious, if only placed in proper environment. The Individual and Social Instincts The individual and society have waged a relentless and bloody battle for ages, each striving for supremacy, because each was blind to the value and importance of the other. The individual and social instincts the one a most potent factor for individual endeavor for growth aspiration self-realization the other an equally potent factor for mutual helpfulness and social well-being the explanation of the storm raging within the individual and between him and his surroundings is not far to seek The primitive man, unable to understand his being, much less the unity of all life, felt himself absolutely dependent on blind, hidden forces ever ready to mock and taunt him. Out of that attitude grew the religious concepts of man as a mere speck of dust dependent on superior powers on high, who can only be appeased by complete surrender. All the early sagas rest on that idea, which continues to be the leitmotif of the biblical tales dealing with the relation of man to God, to the state, to society. Again and again the same motif. Man is nothing, the powers are everything. Thus Jehovah would only endure man on condition of complete surrender. Man can have all the glories of the earth, but he must not become conscious of himself the state, society, and moral laws all sing the same refrain. Man can have all the glories of the earth, but he must not become conscious of himself. Anarchism is the only philosophy which brings to man the consciousness of himself, which maintains that God, the state, and society are non-existent that their promises are null and void, since they can be fulfilled only through man's subordination. Anarchism is therefore the teacher of the unity of life, not merely in nature, but in man. There is no conflict between the individual and the social instincts any more than there is between the heart and the lungs. The one the receptacle of a precious life essence, the other the repository of the element that keeps the essence pure and strong. The individual is the heart of society, conserving the essence of social life. Society is the lungs, which are distributing the element to keep the life essence, that is the individual, pure and strong. The one thing of value in the world, says Emerson, is the active soul. This every man contains within him. The soul active sees absolute truth and utters truth and creates. In other words, the individual instinct is the thing of value in the world. It is the true soul that sees and creates the truth alive, out of which is to come a still greater truth, the reborn social soul. Anarchism is the great liberator of man from the phantoms that have held him captive. It is the arbiter and pacifier of the two forces for individual and social harmony. To accomplish that unity, anarchism has declared war on the pernicious influences which have so far prevented the harmonious blending of individual and social instincts, the individual and society. Religion, the dominion of the human mind, property, the dominion of human needs, and government, the dominion of human conduct, represent the stronghold of man's enslavement and all the horrors it entails. Religion, how it dominates man's mind, how it humiliates and degrades his soul. God is everything, man is nothing, says religion. But out of that nothing God has created a kingdom so despotic, so tyrannical, so cruel, so terribly exacting that naught but gloom and tears and blood have ruled the world since God's began. Anarchism rouses man to rebellion against this black monster. Break your mental fetters, says anarchism to man, for not until you think and judge for yourself will you get rid of the dominion of darkness, the greatest obstacle to all progress. Property, the dominion of man's needs, the denial of the right to satisfy his needs. Time was when property claimed a divine right, when it came to man with the same refrain even as religion sacrifice, abnegate, submit. The spirit of anarchism has lifted man from his prostrate position. He now stands erect with his face toward the light. He has learned to see the insatiable, devouring, devastating nature of property, and he is preparing to strike the monster dead. "'Property is robbery,' said the great French anarchist Proudhon. "'Yes, but without risk and danger to the robber. "'Monopolizing the accumulated efforts of man, "'property has robbed him of his birthright "'and has turned him loose a pauper and an outcast. "'Property has not even the time-worn excuse "'that man does not create enough to satisfy all needs.' The ABC student of economics knows that the productivity of labor within the last few decades far exceeds normal demand a hundredfold. But what are normal demands to an abnormal institution? The only demand that property recognizes is its own gluttonous appetite for greater wealth, because wealth means power the power to subdue, to crush, to exploit. THE POWER TO ENSLAVE, TO OUTRAGE, TO DEGRADE. AMERICA IS PARTICULARLY BOASTFUL OF HER GREAT POWER, HER ENORMOUS NATIONAL WEALTH. POOR AMERICA, OF WHAT AVAIL IS ALL HER WEALTH IF THE INDIVIDUALS COMPRISING THE NATION ARE WRETCHEDLY POOR, IF THEY LIVE IN SQUALOR, and FILTH, IN CRIME, WITH HOPE AND JOY GONE, A HOMELESS, soilless army of human prey. It is generally conceded that unless the returns of any business venture exceed the cost, bankruptcy is inevitable. But those engaged in the business of producing wealth have not yet learned even this simple lesson. Every year the cost of production in human life is growing larger. 50,000 killed, a 100,000 wounded in America last year. The returns to the masses who help to create wealth are ever getting smaller. Yet America continues to be blind to the inevitable bankruptcy of our business of production. Nor is this the only crime of the latter. Still more fatal is the crime of turning the producer into a mere particle of a machine with less will and decision than his master of steel and iron. Man is being robbed not merely of the products of his labor, but of the power of free initiative, of originality, and the interest in or desire for the things he is making. Real wealth consists in things of utility and beauty, in things that help to create strong, beautiful bodies and surroundings inspiring to live in. But if man is doomed to wind cotton around a spool, or dig coal, or build roads for thirty years of his life, there can be no talk of wealth. What he gives to the world is only grey and hideous things, reflecting a dull and hideous existence, too weak to live, too cowardly to die strange to say there are people who extol this deadening method of centralized production as the proudest achievement of our age they fail utterly to realize that if we are to continue in machine subserviency our slavery is more complete than was our bondage to the king they do not want to know that centralization is not only the death knell of liberty but also of health and beauty of art and science all these being impossible in a clock-like mechanical atmosphere. Anarchism cannot but repudiate such a method of production. Its goal is the freest possible expression of all the latent powers of the individual. Oscar Wilde defines a perfect personality as one who develops under perfect conditions, who is not wounded, maimed, or in danger." A perfect personality, then, is only possible in a state of society where man is free to choose the mode of work, the conditions of work, and the freedom to work. One to whom the making of a table, the building of a house, or the tilling of the soil, is what the painting is to the artist, and the discovery to the scientist, the result of inspiration, of intense longing, and deep interest in work as a creative force. That being the ideal of anarchism, its economic arrangements must consist of voluntary, productive and distributive associations, gradually developing into free communism as the best means of producing with the least waste of human energy. Anarchism, however, also recognizes the right of the individual, or numbers of individuals, to arrange at all times for other forms of work in harmony with their tastes and desires such free display of human energy being possible only under complete individual and social freedom, anarchism directs its forces against the third and greatest foe of all social equality, namely the state, organized authority or statutory law, the dominion of human conduct. Just as religion has fettered the human mind and as property or the monopoly of things has subdued and stifled man's needs, So has the state enslaved his spirit, dictating every phase of conduct. All government, in essence, says Emerson, is tyranny. It matters not whether it is government by divine right or majority rule. In every instance, its aim is the absolute subordination of the individual. Referring to the American government, the greatest American anarchist, David Thoreau, said, Government, what is it but a tradition, though a recent one, endeavoring to transmit itself unimpaired to posterity, but each instance losing its integrity? It has not the vitality and force of a single living man. Law never made man a whit more just, and by means of their respect for it, even the well-disposed are daily made agents of injustice. Indeed, the keynote of government is injustice, With the arrogance and self-sufficiency of the king who could do no wrong, governments ordain, judge, condemn, and punish the most insignificant offences, while maintaining themselves by the greatest of all offences, the annihilation of individual liberty. Thus Weeda is right when she maintains that the state only aims at instilling those qualities in its public by which its demands are obeyed, and its exchequer is filled its highest attainment is the reduction of mankind to clockwork in its atmosphere all those finer and more delicate liberties which require treatment and spacious expansion inevitably dry up and perish the state requires a tax-paying machine in which there is no hitch an exchequer in which there is never a deficit and a public monotonous obedient colourless spiritless moving humbly like a flock of sheep along a straight high road between two walls yet even a flock of sheep would resist the chicanery of the state if it were not for the corruptive tyrannical and oppressive methods it employs to serve its purposes Therefore, Bakunin repudiates the State as synonymous with the surrender of the liberty of the individual or small minorities, the destruction of social relationship, the curtailment or complete denial even, of life itself for its own aggrandizement. The State is the altar of political freedom, and like the religious altar, it is maintained for the purpose of human sacrifice. In fact, There is hardly a modern thinker who does not agree that government, organized authority, or the State, is necessary only to maintain or protect property and monopoly. It is proven efficient in that function only. Even George Bernard Shaw, who hopes for the miraculous from the State under Fabianism, nevertheless admits that it is at present a huge machine for robbing and slave driving of the poor by brute force. This being the case, it is hard to see why the clever prefacer wishes to uphold the State after poverty shall have ceased to exist. Unfortunately, there are still a number of people who continue in the fatal belief that government rests on natural laws, that it maintains social order and harmony, that it diminishes crime, and that it prevents the lazy man from fleecing his fellows. I shall therefore examine these contentions. A natural law is that factor in man which asserts itself freely and spontaneously without any external force, in harmony with the requirements of nature. For instance, the demand for nutrition, for sex gratification, for light, air, and exercise is a natural law. But its expression needs not the machinery of government, needs not the club, the gun, the handcuff, or the prison. To obey such laws, if we may call it obedience, requires only spontaneity and free opportunity. That governments do not maintain themselves through such harmonious factors is proven by the terrible array of violence, force, and coercion all governments use in order to live. Thus Blackstone is right when he says, Human laws are invalid because they are contrary to the laws of nature. Unless it be the order of Warsaw after the slaughter of thousands of people, it is difficult to ascribe to governments any capacity for order or social harmony. Order, derived through submission and maintained by terror, is not much of a safe guarantee. Yet that is the only order that governments have ever maintained. True social harmony grows naturally out of solidarity of interests. In a society where those who always work never have anything, while those who never work enjoy everything, solidarity of interest is non-existent. Hence, social harmony is but a myth. The only way organized authority meets this grave situation is by extending still greater privileges to those who have already monopolized the earth, and by still further enslaving the disinherited masses. Thus the entire arsenal of government, laws, police, soldiers, the courts, legislatures, prisons, is strenuously engaged in harmonizing the most antagonistic elements in society. The most absurd apology for authority and law is that they serve to diminish crime. Aside from the fact that the State is itself the greatest criminal, breaking every written and natural law, stealing in the form of taxes, killing in the form of war and capital punishment, it has come to an absolute standstill in coping with crime. It has failed utterly to destroy or even minimize the horrible scourge of its own creation. Crime is not but misdirected energy. So long as every institution of today, economic, political, social, and moral, conspires to misdirect human energy into wrong channels, so long as most people are out of place doing the things they hate to do, living a life they loathe to live, crime will be inevitable. And all the laws and the statutes can only increase but never do away with crime what does society as it exists today, know of the process of despair the poverty the horrors the fearful struggle the human soul must pass on its way to crime and degradation who that knows this terrible process can fail to see the truth in these words of peter kropotkin those who will hold the balance between the benefits thus attributed to law and punishment and the degrading effect of the latter on humanity, those who will estimate the torrent of depravity poured abroad in human society by the informer, favored by the judge even, and paid for in clinking cash by governments, under the pretext of aiding to unmask crime, those who will go within prison walls and there see what human beings become when deprived of liberty, when subjected to the care of brutal keepers, to coarse, cruel words, to a thousand stinging, piercing humiliations, will agree with us that the entire apparatus of prison and punishment is an abomination which ought to be brought to an end. The deterrent influence of law on the lazy man is too absurd to merit consideration. If society were only relieved of the waste and expense of keeping a lazy class, and the equally great expense of the paraphernalia of protection this lazy class requires, the social tables would contain an abundance for all, including even the occasional lazy individual. Besides, it is well to consider that laziness results either from special privileges or physical and mental abnormalities. Our present insane system of production fosters both, and the most astounding phenomenon is that people should want to work at all now. Anarchism aims to strip labor of its deadening, dulling aspect, of its gloom and compulsion. It aims to make work an instrument of joy, of strength, of color, of real harmony, so that the poorest sort of a man should find in work both recreation and hope. To achieve such an arrangement of life, government, with its unjust, arbitrary, repressive measures, must be done away with. At best it has but imposed one single mode of life upon all, without regard to individual and social variations and needs. In destroying government and statutory laws, anarchism proposes to rescue the self-respect and independence of the individual from all restraint and invasion by authority. Only in freedom can man grow to his full stature. Only in freedom will he learn to think and move and give the very best in him. Only in freedom will he realize the true force of the social bonds which knit men together and which are the true foundation of a normal social life. But what about human nature? Can it be changed? AND IF NOT, WILL IT ENDURE UNDER ANARCHISM? POOR HUMAN NATURE, WHAT HORRIBLE CRIMES HAVE BEEN COMMITTED IN THY NAME. EVERY FOOL, FROM KING TO POLICEMAN, FROM THE FLAT-HEADED PARSON TO THE VISIONLESS DABBLER IN SCIENCE, PRESUMES TO SPEAK AUTHORITATIVELY OF HUMAN NATURE. The greater the mental charlatan, the more definite his insistence on the wickedness and weaknesses of human nature. Yet how can anyone speak of it today with every soul in a prison, with every heart fettered, wounded, and maimed? John Burroughs has stated that experimental study of animals in captivity is absolutely useless. Their character, their habits, their appetites undergo a complete transformation when torn from their soil in field and forest. With human nature caged in a narrow space, whipped daily into submission, how can we speak of its potentialities? Freedom, expansion, opportunity, and above all, peace and repose alone can teach us the real dominant factors of human nature and all its wonderful possibilities. Anarchism, then, really stands for the liberation of the human mind from the dominion of religion, the liberation of the human body from the dominion of property, liberation from the shackles and restraint of government. Anarchism stands for a social order based on the free grouping of individuals for the purpose of producing real social wealth an order that will guarantee to every human being free access to the earth and full enjoyment of the necessities of life according to individual desires, tastes, and inclinations. This is not a wild fancy, or an aberration of the mind. It is the conclusion arrived at by hosts of intellectual men and women the world over, a conclusion resulting from the close and studious observation of the tendencies of modern society individual liberty, and economic equality, the twin forces for the birth of what is fine and true in man. As to methods, anarchism is not, as some may suppose, a theory of the future to be realized through divine inspiration. It is a living force in the affairs of our life, constantly creating new conditions. The methods of anarchism therefore do not comprise an ironclad program to be carried out under all circumstances methods must grow out of the economic needs of each place and clime and of the intellectual and temperamental requirements of the individual the serene calm character of a tolstoy will wish different methods for social reconstruction than the intense overflowing personality of a michael Bakunin or a peter kropotkin equally so it must be apparent that the economic and political needs of russia will dictate more drastic measures than would england or america Anarchism does not stand for military drill and uniformity. It does, however, stand for the spirit of revolt in whatever form against everything that hinders human growth. All anarchists agree in that, as they also agree in their opposition to the political machinery as a means of bringing about the great social change. All voting, says Thoreau, is a sort of gaming, like checkers or backgammon, a playing with right and wrong. Its obligation never exceeds that of expediency. Even voting for the right thing is doing nothing for it. A wise man will not leave the right to the mercy of chance, nor wish it to prevail through the power of the majority. A close examination of the machinery of politics and its achievements will bear out the logic of Thoreau. What does the history of parliamentarism show? Nothing but failure and defeat! Not even a single reform to ameliorate the economic and social stress of the people. Laws have been passed, and enactments made for the improvement and protection of labor. Thus it was proven only last year that Illinois, with the most rigid laws for mine protection, had the greatest mine disasters. In states where child labor laws prevail, child exploitation is at its highest and though with us the workers enjoy full political opportunities, capitalism has reached the most brazen zenith. Even were the workers able to have their own representatives, for which our good socialist politicians are clamoring, what chances are there for their honesty and good faith? One has but to bear in mind the process of politics to realize that its path of good intentions is full of pitfalls. Wire-pulling, intriguing, flattering, flattering, lying, cheating. In fact, chicanery of every description whereby the political aspirant can achieve success. Added to that is a complete demoralization of character and conviction until nothing is left that would make one hope for anything from such a human derelict Time and time again the people were foolish enough to trust, believe, and support with their last farthing aspiring politicians, only to find themselves betrayed and cheated. It may be claimed that men of integrity would not become corrupt in the political grinding mill. Perhaps not. But such men would be absolutely helpless to exert the slightest influence in behalf of labour as indeed has been shown in numerous instances. The State is the economic master of its servants. Good men, if such there be, would either remain true to their political faith and lose their economic support, or they would cling to their economic master and be utterly unable to do the slightest good. The political arena leaves one no alternative, one must either be a dunce or a rogue. The political superstition is still holding sway over the hearts and minds of the masses, but the true lovers of liberty will have no more to do with it. Instead, they believe with Stirner that man has as much liberty as he is willing to take. Anarchism therefore stands for direct action, the open defiance of and resistance to, all laws and restrictions, economic, social, and moral. But defiance and resistance are illegal. Therein lies the salvation of man. Everything illegal necessitates integrity, self-reliance, and courage. In short, it calls for free, independent spirits, for men who are men and who have a bone in their backs which you cannot pass your hand through universal suffrage itself owes its existence to direct action if not for the spirit of rebellion of the defiance on the part of the american revolutionary fathers their posterity would still wear the king's coat If not for the direct action of a John Brown and his comrades, America would still trade in the flesh of the black man. True, the trade in white flesh is still going on, but that too will have to be abolished by direct action. Trade unionism, the economic arena of the modern gladiator, owes its existence to direct action. IT IS BUT RECENTLY THAT LAW AND GOVERNMENT HAVE ATTEMPTED TO CRUSH THE TRADE UNION MOVEMENT AND CONDEMNED THE EXPONENTS OF MAN'S RIGHT TO ORGANIZE TO PRISON AS CONSPIRATORS. HAD THEY SOUGHT TO ASSERT THEIR CAUSE THROUGH BEGGING, PLEADING, AND COMPROMISE, TRADE UNIONISM WOULD TODAY BE A NEGLIGIBLE QUANTITY. IN FRANCE, IN SPAIN, IN ITALY, IN RUSSIA, NAY, EVEN IN ENGLAND, Witness the growing rebellion of English labor unions. Direct revolutionary economic action has become so strong a force in the battle for industrial liberty as to make the world realize the tremendous importance of labor's power. The general strike, the supreme expression of the economic consciousness of the workers, was ridiculed in America but a short time ago. Today every great strike in order to win must realize the importance of the solidaric general protest direct action having proven effective along economic lines is equally potent in the environment of the individual there a hundred forces encroach upon his being and only persistent resistance to them will finally set him free direct action against the authority in the shop Direct action against the authority of the law, direct action against the invasive, meddlesome authority of our moral code is the logical, consistent method of anarchism. Will it not lead to a revolution? Indeed it will. No real social change has ever come about without a revolution. People are either not familiar with their history, or they have not yet learned that revolution is but thought carried into action. Anarchism, the great leaven of thought, is today permeating every phase of human endeavor. Science, art, literature, the drama, the effort for economic betterment, in fact, Every individual in social opposition to the existing disorder of things is illumined by the spiritual light of anarchism. It is the philosophy of the sovereignty of the individual. It is the theory of social harmony. It is the great, surging, living truth that is reconstructing the world and that will usher in the dawn."
1: And once again, that was a reading from Anarchism and Other Essays by Emma Goldman. That was the essay, Anarchism. And that'll bring us to our artist of the episode. The artist of the episode for this episode is Peggy Seeger. Here's an excerpt from the Wikipedia on Peggy Seeger. In the 1950s, left-leaning singers such as Paul Robeson and the Weavers began to find that life became difficult because of the influence of McCarthyism. Seeger visited communist China and as a result had her U.S. passport withdrawn. The U.S. State Department, which had been opposed to Seeger's 1957 trip to Moscow, where the CIA had monitored the U.S. delegation, was vigorously critical about her having gone to China against official, quote, advice. The authorities had already warned her that her passport would be impounded, effectively barring her from further travel were she to return to the U.S., She therefore decided to tour Europe and later found out that she was on a blacklist sent to European governments. Staying in London in 1956, she performed accompanying herself on banjo. There, she and Ewan McCall fell in love. Previously married to director and actress Joan Littlewood, McCall left his second wife, Jean Newlove, to become Seeger's lover. In 1958, her U.K. work permit expired and she was about to be deported. This was narrowly averted by a plan concocted by McCall and Seeger, in which she married the folk singer Alex Campbell in Paris on January 24, 1959, in what Seeger described as a, quote, hilarious ceremony. This marriage convenience allowed Seeger to gain British citizenship and continue her relationship with McCall. McCall and Seeger were later married in 1977 following his divorce. They remained together until his death in 1989. They had three children, Neil, Callum, and Kitty. They recorded and released several albums together on Folkways Records, along with Seeger's solo albums and other collaborations with the Seeger family and the Seeger sisters. And we're going to hear two tracks off of the collection An Odd Collection by Peggy Seeger. We're going to hear If You Want a Better Life, but first up here is It's a Free World. I like Mrs.
9: Bridges. I go to Mrs. Bridges. I eat at Mrs. Bridges on a Friday for breakfast. There are only seven tables, flowers on the tables, and smokers at the tables on a Friday. But some smokers, when they're smoking, don't notice if you're choking or you're dying. There's this one fella, Andy, a real chain smoker, and he blows smoke right at me till I'm crying. I asked him quite politely, in fact I asked him nicely, would you mind not smoking on a Friday? Don't like it when I'm eating Don't like it when I'm breathing Don't like it anywhere or any day He told me it's a habit I choose to have it And you choose to come here on a Friday So you're the problem, not me And if I choose to rot me You've got no right to stop me Cause it's my way Cause it's a free world Democracy and all it's a free world. Let's say fair and all that. And if industry can do it, so can I. The smokers cheered him loudly. He lit another proudly. As for me, I looked around me for a friend. I thought of world pollution. I thought of evolution. I thought of revolution. But I paid my bill and left thought of mother jones i thought of rosa parks sojourner truth and Rosa luxembourg it's them i have to thank guerrilla folks have taught me if freedom you are wanting if head-on fights are daunting use the flank so i ate corn on sunday i ate beans on monday on tuesday leeks and lentils made a high i tell you i'm not joking by thursday i was floating but i'm ready for the smoking on a friday i sat down next to andy i smiled at andy he lit up i let off a beauty i sat and read the paper and chatted with the waiter I let my compost maker do its duty Beans are for pitching Leeks are malediction Sweet corn is for density and lentils for duration The recipe's been tested It hasn't yet been bested Add cabbage for perfume and concentration And he turns yellow The atmosphere is mellow. The percussion section's way over the top. It soon put Andy's flag out. Andy hung the flag out. Andy choked and swore and muttered, Stop! I told him it's a habit. I choose to have it. And you choose to come here on a Friday. And if you don't like it, I guess you'll have to hike it Cause I'll fight for farters' rights until I die Cause it's a free world, liberty and all that It's a free world, selfishness and all that And if Andy can do it, so can I He changed his day to Thursday, I changed my day to Thursday He changed his day to Wednesday, so did I the waitress, she was cheering Her bronchitis, it was clearing, And she was volunteering for the Tuesday Mrs. Bridges, I go to Mrs. Bridges, I breathe at Mrs. Bridges on a Friday for breakfast. There are only seven tables, flowers on the tables, and no smokers at the tables any day. Cause it's a free world, strategy and all that, it's a free world, crude comedy and all that. But if I can do it, so can anybody. If you want a better life You gotta make a change And if you wanna make a change You need a union too And And if you you want a union You gotta learn to fight Cause when you got a union You gotta make it fight for you Sitting in the barroom, Head in your hands Got to talk to someone Yes, you need a friend Trouble with the fact Trouble on the line, tell it to the union, it's the best friend you can find. And if you want a better life, you gotta make a change. And if you wanna make a
4: change, you need a union too. And if you want a union, you gotta learn to fight. Cause when you got a union, you gotta make it fight
9: for you. Unless you need someone Changing regulations Trouble on the ward Take it to the union It's what you got that union for And if you <laughs> want a better life You gotta make a change And if you wanna make a change You need a union too And if you want a union You gotta learn to fight Cause when you got a union You gotta make it fight for you All for all. So put the screws on that trouble spot and use the union, the most useful tool we got. And if if you you want want a better life, you gotta make a change. And if you wanna make a change, you need a union too. And if you want a union, you gotta learn to fight. Cause when you got a union, you gotta make it fight for you and conditions. Is that all we need? What about the food we eat and the air we breathe? If you want your union to make a better life, you better make your union help to keep this world alive. And And if if you want a better life, life, you got to make a change. And if you want to make a change, you need a union too. And if you want a union, you got to learn to fight. Because when you got a union, you got to make it fight for you.
1: And once again, that was Peggy Seeger off of An Odd Collection. That was If You Want a Better Life. And whenever I can, I always like to quote the artist that I'm featuring. And so here are a couple different quotes uh, by Peggy Seeger. This first one is excerpted in her Wikipedia. In 2011, Seeger edited the Essential Ewan McCall Songbook. Her introduction gave a detailed account of her life with McCall. She expressed some difference of political perspective between her and Ewan. Quote, as a budding eco-feminist, I find the subject matter of many of the songs in this book very hard to deal with. A developed eco-feminist would probably not have undertaken this book at all. Ewan was a Marxist, a militant gut political product of the tail end of the Industrial Revolution. In most of his songs, men are digging, slashing, cutting, building, reshaping, raping, controlling, humanizing the earth and being praised for doing so for the good of mankind. Humanity and the class struggle were Ewan's main preoccupations, but his songs deal with men, men's work, men's lives, men's activities, and many veiled and not-so-veiled references to the power of the penis. Even where it's obvious that both sexes are being referred to, Ewan, like myself in my early songs, and like most people in our patriarchal society, employs the masculine pronouns. And this quote from Peggy Seeger PeggySeeger dot com. I have a reputation for being an activist, a progressive, an advocate, a mover and shaker, a left winger, a feminist, a singer of songs which try to move humanity on a little down the road towards that time when our descendants will look back upon us as Neanderthals, dinosaurs, blind hopefuls groping our way towards the future. I don't look on myself as an activist because all around me I see wonderful, brave people doing much more than I am doing to get to that better future. Then I look around and see people might be construed as doing much less than I am doing and wonder what, quote, activist really means after all what is a mother who trains her child not to throw trash down on the sidewalk an activist on the family front line what is the boy who objects when his comrades use denigrating words about girls an activist in the gender arena Who are the SOA prisoners of conscience, the courageous priests and nuns who defend, encourage, and harbor freedom fighters? Barbara Lee, representative of California, who was the only member of the two houses of government to stand against the Patriot Act. All activists. And from the album Folkway Years, 1955 to 1992, Songs of Love and Politics, this is Peggy Seeger with I'm Gonna Be an Engineer.
9: When I was a little girl, I wished I was a boy. I tagged along behind the gang and wore me corduroys. Everybody said I only did it to annoy, but I was gonna be an engineer. Mama told me, can't you be a lady? Your duty is to make me the mother of a pearl. Wait until you're older, dear, and maybe you'll be glad that you're a girl. Dainty as a dress and statue, gentle as a Jersey cow. Smooth as silk, gives creamy milk. Learn to cool, learn to move. That's what you do to be a lady now. When I went to school, I learned to write and how to read Some history, geography, and home economy And typing is a skill that every girl should sure need To while away the extra time until the time to breed Then they had the nerve to say, what would you like to be? I says, I'm gonna be an engineer No, you only need to learn to be a lady The duty isn't yours for to try and run the world An engineer could never have a baby Remember, dear, that you're a girl She's smart for a woman I wonder how she got that way You get no choice, you get no voice Just stay mom, pretend you're dumb And that's how you come to be a lady today Then Jimmy come along We set up a conjugation We were busy every night Loving recreation I spent the day at work So he could get his education Well now he's an engineer Says I oh, know you'll always be a lady It's the duty of my darling To love me all her life Could an engineer look after or baby? Remember dear that you're my wife Well as soon as Jimmy got a job I began again Then happy at me Turret lay the year or so And then the morning that the twins were born Jimmy says to them kids Your mother was an engineer You owe it to the kids to be a lady Dainty as a dishrag, faithful as a child Stay at home, you got to mind the baby Remember you're a mother now Well, every time I turn around, it's something else to do It's cook a meal, mend a sock, sweep a floor or two Listening to Jimmy Young, it makes me want to spew I was gonna be an engineer Don't I really wish that I could be a lady lovely things that a lady's supposed to do i wouldn't even mind if only they would pay me and i could be a person too what price for a woman you could buy her for a ring of gold to love and obey without any pay you get a cook and a nurse for better or worse you don't need a purse when the lady is sold Ah, but now that times are harder and me Jimmy's got the sack. I went down to Vickers, they were glad to have me back. But I'm a third-class citizen, my wages tell me that, and I'm a first-class engineer. The boss, she says, we pay you as a lady. You only got the job cause I can't afford a man. With you, I keep the profits highest, maybe. You're just a cheaper pair of hands. You got one fault, you're a woman. You're not worth the equal pay A bitch you're a tart You're nothing but heart Shallow and vain You got no brain You even go down the drain Like a lady today Well, I listened to my mother And I joined a typing pool I listened to my lover And I put him through his school But if I listen to the boss I'm just a bloody fool And an underpaid engineer I've been a sucker ever since I was a baby a wife as a mother and a dear but i'll fight them as a woman not a lady fight them as an engineer part of me says we shouldn't be striking but most of me says we should because when the owners get together with the u.s government you know It ain't gonna do me no good And if they keep on handin' us A yellow dog contract We're gonna have to turn it down Mr. Taft can dig it Mr. Hartley can haul it Cause I'm gonna leave it in the ground Mr. Taft can dig it Mr. Hartley can haul it Carter supervise the crew And if they find it too hard They got the National Guard To fix the bayonets and shovel like fools It's gonna take a lot longer than 80 short days for this miner to cool on down. Mr. Taft can dig it, Mr. Hartley can haul it, cause I'm gonna leave it in the ground. Mine owner don't worry about safety regulations, he's walking in the sun all day. When you're down in the You learn you got to stay alive If you want to spend that pay If we sign away our rights To be wildcat striking You know they're gonna push us around Mr. Taft can dig it Mr. Hartley can haul it Cause I'm gonna leave it in the ground Well, they took away our food stamps Our medical plan. I got a mortgage you just can't pay But the folks here in town are gonna give me credit Cause they know I'll be back on my feet someday And if some gun toting thug takes to toting for the owners Better find himself another town Mr. Taft can't dig it, Mr. Hartley can't haul it Cause I'm gonna leave it in the ground Mr. Taft can't dig it, Mr. Hartley can't haul it Carter can supervise the crew if they find it too hard they got the national guard to fix the bayonets and shovel like fools it's gonna take a lot longer than 80 short days for this miner to cool on down mr taft can dig it mr hartley can haul it because i'm gonna leave it in the ground now my daddy's pensioned off, at 80 bucks a week seems to get smaller every year the kids are sick i'm reaching in my pocket you know my pay raise is gonna disappear no owner can outsmart me with his taft and his heart while the cold supply is running down he may own the coal but he don't own me and i'm going don't own me and I'm gonna leave it in
1: the ground And that'll wrap up the set on Peggy Seeger. That was Taft Hartley. That song was from the album From Where I Stand. Topical Songs from America and England. Here is Buffy St. Marie and the Broadside Singers with the song Immigrante. This is from Broadside Ballads, Volume 3, the Broadside Singers.
6: So
4: welcome, welcome, Immigrante, to my country, welcome home.
10: And I say, they built this country For they came from far away To a land they did not know The same way you do, my friend
4: So welcome. welcome, welcome
10: Forefathers, and I sing about their courage. For they spoke a foreign language, and they labored with their hands the same way you do, my friends. So, welcome, well fathers and I sing about their patience for the work they did was lowly and they dirtied up their clothes and they spoke a foreign language and, and they labored with their hands and they came from far away to a land they did not know the same way you do my friend.
1: And that will just about wrap up this episode of Polyrical. Remember, you can email me at polyrical at gmail.com. You can follow at Polyrical on Twitter, and you can support this podcast by making a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at polyrical.com. You'll find links to donate there. You'll also find all the back episodes, and you'll find links there to recommend a song or an artist for a future episode. You can also hear me record this podcast live on Twitch. Just follow Unrelated Things on twitch.tv for more information. One more song as we exit this episode from the album by this fracking album. This is Eve Silber with What About Climate Change. Thanks for listening. Mm
11: dinner every night that he